Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Words to Live By series, which is taken from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, we're in Matthew chapter number five, and uh, we're continuing our series, Words to Live By. Uh, we've been studying this out. Of course, this is a series uh, taking place, Jesus preaching upon the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, that kind of natural amphitheater area. This is a couple years ago there in Israel, the area that we probably believe that the Sermon on the Mount took place. And as Jesus stood this day, he, he uh, had uh, gathered a number of followers to him, a number of his disciples, and all of those disciples were gathered to him. And the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7 that by the end of Jesus speaking, there was a multitude there. And they were astonished at his words. But Jesus ended the Sermon on the Mount by giving the words that we looked at two weeks ago. It was, it's in Matthew 7 where Jesus said, if you'll build your life upon the words that I'm giving you, then I'll liken you, I'll compare you to a, a wise man that has built his house upon a rock. And when the storms come and the winds and the uh, waves beat, beat against it, uh, that house is sure and it's going to stand strong. There's stability and there's security. However, if we don't build our lives upon the words of Christ, Jesus said, I will liken you unto a foolish man who has built his house upon the sand. And the winds came and the floods and the, the rains came and that house didn't stand. As a matter of fact, Matthew 7, Jesus says, great is the fall of it. And so we learned just a couple weeks ago, we learned that every single one of us, every single one of us, we are being drawn to build our lives upon something. And culture speaks loudly into us and the media speaks to us and politics speaks to us and athletes speak, athletes speak to us and all of them are saying, hey, follow my way. Hey, I'll give you words to stand on and all of them have voices crying out for our attention. Every single one of those and culture cries out for our attention, giving us words that we should live by. Hey, you should, you should uh, stand for this. You should vote for this. You should uh, go here. You should support this group or this religion. And, but we stopped two weeks ago and we began to realize the truth that Jesus said. I don't want to live by anybody else's words. I want to live by his words. And so I want to build my life upon his words. And so last week we took the, of course, Jesus was speaking the Sermon on the Mount. And when he spoke, Matthew 7, build upon these words, he was specifically talking about these words that we've been going through. And last week, we understood this truth that everybody's searching, everybody's searching for real joy and real happiness. Divine joy and perfect happiness. Everybody's searching for it. Everybody wants to be happy. I've never met somebody that's like, no, I just really like to be miserable my whole life. Now, there's some people, their face says that, but on the inside, they don't. No, every one of us, we search for divine joy and, and perfect happiness. And last week, we were at what's called the Beatitudes. The first 12 verses of Matthew 5, where Jesus started with the word beatus or blessed. And the word blessed, it means divine joy, perfect happiness. So in those first 12 verses, Jesus said, hey, divine joy and perfect happiness belong to the poor in spirit. Belong to those that mourn. Belongs to the meek. It belongs to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we went through those thoughts last week, understanding this truth that you, when you build your life upon the word of God, man, you're going to find real joy. 
and real happiness. And last week, really, we brought it down that if you and I want real joy and real happiness in life, stay close to God. Man, you want real joy and real happiness, stay close to God. That's a simple thought that we learned last week. And so today, we're going to come back into just the continuing thoughts of Jesus in Matthew chapter number five. And as we come to our passage this morning, I just want to know if, uh, if someone has ever had to give you what we would call a pep talk. You ever had to have a pep talk? I'm, I'm sure you have. Every one of us have been there where uh, as we're going through uh, life, as we're dealing with things in life, then we just need someone to come along and, and encourage us. And a pep talk. Maybe it was a sports team. Maybe you uh, played, played basketball or played football and, and your coach, uh, man, the team wasn't playing as a unit and the coach had to sit you down and say, hey, listen, listen, you have a lot of potential. Hey, listen, you guys could be cohesive as a group. Hey, you can score more points. Hey, listen, we could win a game. What's he doing? He's giving you a pep talk. Maybe it's at work. You know, maybe the numbers are down and the boss calls everybody in and says, hey, listen, we got to get sales up. We, we've got we've to have better uh, customer service. Hey, we need to have better follow-up with our customers. And he pulls you in, and he doesn't get on to you and say, you're a bunch of idiots, I can't believe you. No, he gives you a pep talk. Hey, you can do this. You can move forward. If you have children, you give pep talks all the time. It's like, hey, you can clean. It's okay. <laughs> like, you can get this done. But dad, it's so, no, you're just sweeping a kitchen floor. It's all right. Man, every one of us, we've been there where we're either giving a pep talk or receiving a pep talk. You know what? At the end of the pep talk, usually you're presented with a concept. That concept, I would word it this way. Now the ball is in your court. You've gotten this pep talk. Now what are you going to do about it? You've gotten this pep talk, you, you know the potential, you know that there could be uh, more that you could do, more that you could accomplish, so now, what are you going to do about it? As we come to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, I see Jesus, again, remember, he's speaking to his followers. He's speaking to people who already claim that he is the Christ and they have a desire to follow him. As we come to verse 13, 14, and 15, I see him giving a pep talk. And then verse 16, I see is the, now the ball's in your court. I want you to see it with me this morning because the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples on that day, they're still very, very much needed for our day. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. If you want, you can stand out of respect to the word of God. We'll stand together and read these verses, give you a moment to stretch uh, before I preach for an hour and a half. I'm just kidding. It'll be an hour and 20 minutes. Matthew chapter five and verse number 13, Jesus again speaking, and he says, ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may 
see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. As we come to these words this morning, again, Jesus speaking these to his listeners, I believe that he's coming at this portion of the message to encourage his followers, but also to challenge them. He's going to encourage them that they have potential, but he's going to challenge them to take steps of faith to live up to that potential. And today, as we look at this, I think they have a decision to make, and as you and I go into this week, we're going to have a decision to make. Very couple, two very simple thoughts this morning that we're going to see the Lord speaking, that you, if you follow and believe in Jesus Christ, number one, you are valuable. Number two, you can be effective. But the third thought is you're responsible. Every one of us are valuable. Every one of us can be effective. But every one of us are responsible for what we do with what Jesus has given to us. We're going to learn from these words this morning. So let's pray and then we'll get right into the message. Dear Lord, we come before you and we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for how you use it. We thank you for how you desire to speak through it into us and Lord, I just come today, Father, and I humble my heart before you, and I pray that you would speak to me. Lord, I pray today that you'd help every single one of us to hear exactly the words that you want to give us. I pray, Lord, that as we go through the message, that we wouldn't simply uh, just kind of listen and leave, but that we would have ears to hear and intentionality with um, what you speak to us about, that we would... Uh, respond, make a decision, and Father, that it would truly change how we live for you this week. And then, Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, or there's someone here, perhaps they've been putting a faith in in religion or in a, a pastor or a church or even in a baptism or good works, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that people see that only you or how we can know for sure we're going to heaven. Only you can bring that restoration to our relationship with God. So, Father, we pray that you'd bless right now and speak to us. Help us to hear from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come to these verses this morning, I want you again to notice a couple of these thoughts. The first one that I believe Jesus gives is this thought that you are valuable. He's speaking to his believers and and his followers, and he says to them, of course, he knows that there's a lot of people out there that are not believers, and he's going to speak to them through the course of the message as well. But in this particular spot, Jesus says to him, hey, I want you to know that you're valuable. How does he say they're valuable? Notice verse number 13, where Jesus simply says this phrase, ye are the salt of the earth. You, you disciples, you followers, you are the salt of the earth. In this verse, Jesus, he uh, compares his followers to salt. Don't you think with me about some things about salt? The old scholar Pliny said, uh, without salt, human life cannot be sustained. Without salt, human life cannot be sustained. And uh, if you think about it, that's true. There's salt in just about everything. Our skin needs natural salts and different things like that. But Salt in this day, and it is still today, but salt in their day specifically, salt was very valuable. As a matter of fact, it was known as a commodity of life. It would be really in their day, salt was used as currency. 
It was used as money. I learned something studying for this message I've never known before, but uh, I've known this thought that during those times, Roman, the, the Roman soldiers, they would be paid in salt. I've said that before. They'd get that salt and uh, you know, you'd, you, your wages would be salt. Why? Because it was so valuable. But I never knew this, that we get our word, our English word, salary, from their word, sal, or salt. That's where we, so you make a salary at your job, you make salt at your job. Yeah, some of you need a salt raise, don't you? You know, if you think about it, they, uh, or if you look at it, here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, you are valuable. You are, you are very valuable. This salt, this salt was something that would be used to, to pay those Roman guards. But I want you to know with me and think with me very quickly, just some interesting thoughts about salt. Salt, like I said, it's very valuable to this world, but why is salt valuable? Well, salt is penetrating. Salt is penetrating. When, when salt is present, you can taste it, and you can feel it. A couple of weeks ago, I, I don't know if I've told the story, but a couple of weeks ago, we were, well, probably about a month ago, we were in San Diego. Hannah and I got to spend a few days of vacation down there. And we go to the, uh, go to the beach and, and take a lot of wave pictures because Hannah's the artist and paints waves. And so I get in the water and freeze to death and take pictures and get pummeled and stuff like that. Well, this day in particular... I was out taking pictures. There weren't a lot of people around. And so I, we were just kind of in this area. Again, not a lot of, there may be some kids off to the side. And, and as I was out taking pictures, man, I felt like something bit my toe off. And I was like, there's a shark. There's a shark going to eat me, you know? And uh, man, oh man. And then I thought, well, you know, it's probably just a, probably just a crab or something like that. You know, I stepped on it. And long story short, I got stung by a stingray. It hurt a lot. And I know it was a stingray because I explained the pain to a couple friends and they were like, oh, dude, you got stung by a stingray. Good thing you didn't die. You know, I was like, yeah, thanks a lot. But it was, it was fine. But I got, I got stung right, right next to my big toe. Well, when you're in water, you know, you usually need your legs. So if it's like your hand, you know, I can pull my hand up and be like, it's all right. But my foot had to stay in the water because I had to get back to the beach. You know what's in ocean water? Salt. Oh, oh. I, I honestly, I was just like, ha, oh, oh, you know, and Hannah's back. She's like, what's going on? I was like, I can't talk. You know, when I get out, it was, it was like, it was like I got poked with a needle. Like it, you can't, there's, there's an itty bitty little dot there and I, it hurt. It was so small, but it hurt for days. And the next day I'm, we're back at the beach and I'm like, I don't want to get in the water again. <laughs> like I'm going to, and we, we saw a shark that day, you know? So I'm like thinking I'm, I'm signing my death wish to get back in this water. And that salt, man, it hurt. You know what salt is? It's penetrating. Salt penetrates. What's some other things about salt that we know? Uh, we know that salt, it's a preservative. 
Salt's a preservative. Of course, one of the reasons that salt was so valuable back in those days is because they didn't have freezers like you and I do, and so they would pack their meat in salt. And salt would keep their meat for a few days. It would keep it uh, fresher longer. Salt's penetrating. Salt is a preservative. Salt, it draws thirst. Salt makes you thirsty. You, you ladies who cook, have you ever put too much salt in something? You take a bite and, oh, whoo, man, that's bad. And then what do you do? You go over and you get some water. Wash it down. Why? It's because that salt, it draws thirst. It makes you thirsty. Salt, it adds flavor. You ever forgotten salt in cookies? They don't taste the best if you forget one of those ingredients. Man, you forget some salt when you're cooking, when you're grilling, when you're doing some things. If you forget salt, you lose out on some of the flavor. It's penetrating. It's a preservative. It draws thirst. It adds flavor. Salt, it cleanses. After I got stung by that stingray, honestly, I knew I didn't have to worry about being infected. I I really, I was like, well, do I pour peroxide? And I was like, what am I talking about? The ocean is peroxide. And that salt, I knew, I knew that it would, would cleanse that wound. Salt, it, it cleanses. All of these reasons help us just understand the fact that salt, it has value. It's very valuable. It's something that can be used for a number of things. And as Jesus is speaking to the disciples and to his followers, he's saying, hey, you have value in this earth. Hey, you are salt in this earth. Why? Because there are a number of things that you can accomplish in this earth. I think about salt as a believer. We are to be uh, penetrating. Say, what's that mean for a believer? Listen, when Christ, when Jesus is present in the life of a person, other people are going to notice that. Like when Jesus is really at work in your life, they might not know exactly what's at work in your life, but your spirit and your character is going to be penetrating in the community around you to realize, you know what? There is something different about that person. As a believer, I'm a, I'm a preservative for this earth. You say, we're a preservative? Yeah, we're a preservative for this earth in the fact that how you and I live and go through life seeking God and following after his righteousness, man, it's like the, in the days of, of Lot when Jesus or when God said, I'll hold back wrath for the sake of the righteous. I'm thinking about even in, in the book of, uh, of Psalms when it says that righteousness exalteth a nation. Man, a believer is a preservative. Why? Because of the life they live, that righteousness they have. A a believer is supposed to draw thirst in this world. How do we draw thirst? Well, we draw thirst by helping people desire what we have. Well, how do I help someone desire what I have? Like it. My parents are in Oregon. My dad was preaching a funeral down there, but my mom... I've, I think I've said this before. I've said a lot of things before. Uh, <clears throat> my mom said, you know, there's a lot of Christians that walk around looking like they've been sucking on an onion or a lemon all day. And they don't enjoy their Christianity. You know, no one's going no to want what you have. Your Christianity is not going to penetrate and cause someone else to want that Christianity if, if it's not something you embrace. And we're going to see that in just a minute. But here's Jesus speaking to these followers. He's saying, hey, you are salt. Man, you're penetrating. You are a preservative. You draw thirst. Hey, you add flavor. 
You add flavor just as salt brings, uh, uh, can bring goodness to the taste buds and uh, can be something pleasant. Even so, the disciples are to bring goodness to the world, helping people around them experience the pleasantness of God, bringing balance to an imbalanced world, faith to a fearful situation, hope to hopelessness, life to lifelessness. You see, a, be- a believer adds to the world. A believer cleanses. By your life, you Keep help this, you, you help keep this world clean. Your life, your closeness to the Lord, your love for the Lord, it helps others see their need for God. You think about when you trusted Christ as Savior, I'm sure that you trusted Christ perhaps because of the influence of other believers. Yes, somebody told you about Jesus, but you saw a life that matched up what they spoke. Well, what is that? They were salt. They were embracing that life of being salt. But don't you notice the second part of the verse where Jesus says this, hey, you're the salt of the earth, you have value, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? The word savor here is the word, it, mean, it means to make flat or to make tasteless. If the salt has lost its flavor and its If salt has lost its saltiness, it's not usable anymore. Jesus would later say it this way in Luke chapter 14, verses 34 through 35, where he said, hey, salt is good. But if salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is uh, neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Hey, salt is good, but if it's lost its savor, it's lost its value. Being a follower of Jesus Christ, it's good. But if my life has lost its savor, if my life is made flat, my life is tasteless, if salt has lost its taste, it's lost its value. Can I say today that if the, if the follower of Jesus Christ has lost their savor, if you've lost your value, then you've lost, or excuse me, to lose your savor is to lose sight of your value. To lose your savor is really not embracing your Christianity. Think about it this way. I think I, well, I took the statement out. <clears throat> if you've missed your meaning, if you've missed your purpose, then you're losing your savor. How, do we, how does a believer lose their savor? In those days, salt, it was generally not pure. It actually contained multiple other compounds, and most of which they held up to humidity better than sodium chloride. But if salt was exposed to the typical humidity, especially in a place like Israel, the sodium chloride in the salt would eventually evaporate, and all the other compounds would become obsolete. And so all that you would have, if the sodium chloride is taken out, all you have is a white grain. You know what it has, what it's happened? It's lost its savor. It's lost its saltiness. Anybody here ever used un, non-salty salt, savorless salt? Years ago, when we first started the church, and of course we were cleaning out a lot of the areas of the church and I was working in the kitchen one day and I was eating lunch. 
and I needed some salt. So I, you know, honestly, it was like one of the first few weeks that we were here. And I was like, well, surely there's some salt here. And so I opened the cabinet and there was some salt there. Looked like salt. Bounced around on my plate like salt. Went on the food like salt. Took a bite. Man, this needs more salt. Took another bite. This needs more salt. Took another bite. Pretty soon, you know what I found out? That salt was probably like a decade and a half old. I took that little can out and I thought, hmm, maybe that's why I need more salt. 1992. You know what happened to that salt? It lost its savor. Well, what's that salt good for? Nothing. It's lost its value. Salt loses its favor when, when those things, those ingredients, those compounds are, are taken out. And the comparison then is that a believer, a believer will lose their flavor and lose their value and lose uh, their ability to be salt. We lose that when we distance ourselves from the Lord. We lose that just like uh, salt will not be salt if that sodium chloride evaporates. You and I, as we slide away from the Lord, we lose our saltiness. We lose our effectiveness. So here's Jesus on this day, and he's bringing out just a few simple thoughts. And the first one is, hey, you have value. Your life, it can be salt to this earth. It can be something that's cost, something that val- that, that's a value in this world. I see secondly then that Jesus said, hey, you are effective. Hey, you are salt, you are valuable, but you are light, you are effective. Notice the verses, if you will, Matthew chapter 15, or Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, where Jesus says this. He says, ye are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You know what? I love, I never thought about it until even studying for this message that him saying you're the light of the world, you're in really good company. You know why? Because Jesus made this statement. I am the light of the world. Man, he is the light for all, right? And so we're in great company because he says, hey, you are the light of the world. And what is he saying with this? Well, he's saying about light. I mean, light, it literally affects everything it touches, doesn't it? Man, light is effective. Think with me about some things about light. Light is welcome. Man, when you wake up in the morning and you maybe watch a sunrise, the rising of a sun after a a cold night, man, that rising of the sun is welcome. I love watching sunrises, uh, not often here because I like to sleep, but when I'm on vacation or when we're other places and I have the ability to see a beautiful sunrise, uh, when we're in Israel, man, I will be up every morning to watch the sunrise. It is, it is amazing to watch that sunrise, especially the Sea of Galilee, and, and to watch it come up. Man, but when you watch that sun come up, I don't know if you're like me, but I might be sitting there, and, and as soon as that sun hits me in the face, you just kind of close your eyes. You take a deep breath, man, it's just like, whew, and it's refreshing. Why? That sun, it's, it's welcome. That light is welcome. What else does light do? Light, it reveals flaws. All of you ladies that put makeup on, you don't normally put makeup on in a dark place. Normally, you're putting your makeup on in a very well-lit area. 
And Hannah, as we've uh, been married and moved a few times, every time we move somewhere new, she's like, hey, we need to change the lighting right here. And I'm like, why? Because this is where I'm going to get ready. I got I to be able to see. I got I to be able to, to put the makeup on properly. What does light do? It, re- it, reveals, it reveals the flaws that you're wanting to cover up. That's how it works. Um, some of us don't like a lot of light in like certain rooms of the house because then it reveals the dust bunnies. <laughs> then it reveals the dirt in the corner. It reveals that dust glaze that's right over that, that uh, center table. Oh, I didn't realize that no one's wiped that down for a month and a half. Well, what revealed that? Light. It reveals the flaws. Light is welcome. Light reveals flaws. Uh, light, it provides direction, doesn't it? <clears throat> I don't know about you, but I love turning the light on in my children's room and walking in there rather than walking in, in the dark. Because <laughs> you've heard it said you haven't lived until you, until you step on a Lego barefooted at three o'clock in the morning because someone had a scary dream and you're going in. I'm like, I don't care that you had a scary dream and that it's dark and that you're still tired. I'm turning a light on because I'm not stepping on a Lego. You know what that light does? Man, it reveals the direction I'm going. If you've ever been out camping or you've ever been out driving at night, what do you do? You turn your headlights on out camping. You have that flashlight. That light, it reveals a direction. It's effective. Light, it's welcome. It reveals flaws. It provides direction. Uh, Light is comforting. You think about that child that has had the scary dream. When you flip that light on, usually that comfort comes, doesn't it? That light, it just provides comfort. Jesus says to his followers on this day, hey, you are light to this world. The world, it sits in darkness, and I have set you as my disciples. I've I've set you up as light. So as light, you're welcome. There may be times when you don't feel welcome, but can I say to this world, it would be a completely different place without Bible-believing Christianity. Literally, and I, I was going to go through it, but don't have the time to do it. Literally, Christianity has affect and influ- affected and influenced every aspect of society. All the way down to freedom of religion in a, in a country. Christianity has influenced that. Man, you think about it, Christianity, though at times it may not be outspokenly welcome, the Lord says, hey, Bible believing Christianity to this world, it's light, it's welcome. May not feel like it sometimes, but it is. What else about Christianity? Hey, Bible believing Christianity, you as light reveal flaws. The disciple to be light in the darkness, revealing that which is truth, revealing the sinfulness in the world, not by calling it out and pointing at it and saying, I am better than that, but again, by our closeness with the Lord, living in such a way that people say there's something different about that. Uh, uh, Light, it provides direction. The disciple is to be light of the Lord, shining in the hearts of those who are lost, giving people the understanding about what uh, the real direction of their life should be. Hey, you need Jesus Christ. Light is comforting. We provide comfort to this world. Did you know that the psalmist uh, even knew that when uh, he wrote in the Psalms about finding comfort? And then uh, Paul, when he wrote in the book of Corinthians, that you can comfort others with the comfort that you've received. And how many times have perhaps you as a believer sat across the table uh, from somebody who didn't know the Lord and you were able to encourage them. Man, that is God working through you. 
That is God helping you be light. Light, it's comforting. But then Christ said this. He said, a city that's set on a hill, it cannot be hid. Neither do men uh, light a candle, put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. That phrase, a city that's set on a hill, a city that's on a hill, it's a, it's a beacon that is set up for the purpose of people to look to it. Even so, the Christian is a beacon, supposed to be a beacon for all that look to him. With a candle, you don't light a candle and hide it. You light a candle and you put it where others can see it. And Jesus said, you light it, you put it on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all that are in the house, to everybody that's in the sphere of influence, to everybody that can see it, it's going to affect them. Can I just say that light affects everything it touches? Light affects everything it touches. And even so, the truth is, with your life and mine, you as light have an effect on everything you touch. You leave a lasting impression on everything that you, in, uh, everything that you influence. And so what is Jesus helping them with? Hey, don't feel like you have to hide your light. So many followers of Jesus get intimidated by culture and they, they dim or they hide their light. Can I just tell you again, something we've said recently, that this culture and your workplace and your family They don't need less light. They need more. This world doesn't need less God. It needs more. It doesn't need more Christians who just kind of go through the motions and fulfill religious duties. It needs Christians who embrace being salt and being light. Don't hide your light by minimizing your faith. For a Christian, our goal is not self-promotion or self-glorification. We'll see in a second. Our goal is to uplift him first. But our goal should be to brighten our light, not diminish it. Because the world, it needs you as light. So set your light up. Set your light on a candlestick. Live out your faith every day. Wear your faith on your sleeve, so to speak, for everyone to see. Why? It's going to have an effect. This isn't done for self-righteousness, self-promotion, or, or self-gratification. This is done all to the glory of God. So here's Jesus, and he says to them, his little pep talk, hey, I want to encourage you. You are valuable. You're the salt of the earth. Hey, you are effective. You, you have the potential to literally affect every single person that you touch. But then the third thought Jesus brings to them is the thought that you are responsible. Hey, you're valuable, you're effective, you are salt, you are light. What are you gonna do about it? Notice the next verse where Jesus said in verse number 16, he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This is him giving that phrase. Hey, the ball is in your court. Notice the first word. The first word is the word let. Let your light shine. Christ has just got done talking to them that they are salt and that they are light. And now he gives them this thought. With you being salt and you being light, you have to choose every day to embrace your saltiness 
and embrace your light. Hey, you choose every day. Hey, this week at work, you're gonna literally choose if, if you're going to be valuable and be effective in this world, you choose if you're going to uh, embrace being salt and being light. You choose if you're going to hide your Christianity or if you're going to uh, declare it boldly, if you're gonna live it loudly. The word let means you choose to embrace it. You choose to embrace it or to deny it. Can I say today, I want to encourage you as you and I listen to Jesus say that you are valuable and you are effective. Can I encourage you today, embrace your role as salt and light. How do we embrace our role with salt and light? Well, he says it there. That others may see your good works. That others may see your good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are instructed to do good works that are seen by others. Now this is for the edification, the encouragement of others, and for the glory of God. It's not so people will think, wow, you're a really cool person. You know, as a believer, sometimes we forget Sometimes we forget that our belief should affect our behavior. We forget that our Christianity should affect, it should affect literally every aspect of our life. You as a business uh, owner, you as a, a corporate worker, you as a factory worker, as a, a retiree, whatever you're in, it should affect your business dealings. Your Christianity should affect how you serve at the job. Your Christianity should affect how you uh, reply and respond at home to the kids or to the spouse. Your Christianity, listen, it should affect you forgiving people who've hurt you. Your Christianity should affect you and I trying to be a blessing to people that just rub us the wrong way. What what, What is that? That is belief affecting behavior. And here's Jesus on this day saying, hey, you have potential. You have value. You have effective, you are valuable. You're salt. You are effect, have effectiveness. You are light. So choose to let your light shine. How do I let my shine, Lord? My light, my light shine. How do I do that? By your good works. That others may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. They see you being kind when you're uh, treated unkindly. They see you uh, being honest in business dealings when there's opportunity to be dishonest. They see you not taking advantage of somebody when it very easily could have been uh, taken advantage of. Uh, They see you speaking kind words when harshness is what you receive. They see you speaking about uh, things that are God-honoring rather than self-glorifying. What is this? This is just embracing my life as salt and embracing my life as light. Now, what a challenge. Jesus says to him, hey, let your light shine. We're instructed to do good works that are seen by others. People must not only hear about our good works, but they need to see them. This convinces people that what we have is more than religion or what we have is more than just the name Christian, but it's, it's real and it's true and it's powerful. My friend, I want us to understand today that your, your religiosity does not change your life. A relationship with God changes your life. 
You can cross the T's and dot the I's and you can fulfill all of what religion says to fulfill and yet be one of the most uh, um, uh, miserable and least influential people because you're just fulfilling religion. But when you walk with God and when you meet with him in the morning and when you spend time talking with him through the day, and when you depend upon him literally in your conversation, in your life, in your, in your words, in your action, in your thoughts, when you yield to him, that is when you are embracing your life as salt and light because you are saying, God, I need you. God, our culture needs you. My family needs you. And so God, I today embrace my value. I today embrace my effectiveness by becoming salt and light. I realize today that this world does not need less of Christianity. It needs more real Christianity. That's what this world needs. I'm all for voting. Matter of fact, we did our voter, reg voter registration a few weeks ago and had those slips out. If, you, if you're not registered to vote, see me. I, I think every Christian should vote. This year, a lot of people are presenting a challenge. They're saying, man, who do we vote for? You know, I, I, I'm, I don't like the brashness of this guy, but I don't like the, this guy's uh, policies. And I don't, I, 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 can I tell you that a believer votes by the Bible? Really, you're not, a voting, you're not voting for a person. You're voting for a platform. I'm all for voting, but voting isn't the answer for this world. The answer is not in the White House. It's not in Olympia. I'm all for voting but that's not gonna bring this world what it needs. Oh, we should pray for our leaders because they affect the peace that we live in and 2 Timothy has so much to say about that, but that's not what this world needs. You know what this world needs? It needs a real Christian. A real Christian to live out what Jesus has done in their life each and every day. And that's what Christ is saying to these disciples in this day, that you as salt, you as light, you have potential. You have my power in you. The saying, the darker the night, the brighter the light is still so true. And Jesus was telling these men, he was telling these fishermen, listen, did you know the Bible refers to many of the disciples as just ignorant and unlearned men? I don't know about you, but that's like a description that would fit me but I wouldn't want people like doing that. You know, how would you like to be introduced that way? Yeah, this is Brian. He's an ignorant and unlearned man. Oh yeah, this is my friend Jason. He's an ignorant and unlearned man. Glad to meet you. I, I, don't, I wouldn't want that. And yet the Bible says that the Pharisees, they looked and they said, man, these are ignorant and unlearned men. And yet they are turning this world upside down. Why were they doing that? Jesus is speaking to them on this day and he says, because you're valuable, you're effective. What are you gonna do about it? The ball's in your court. Can I challenge you this morning that when you and I, when we don't lose our savor, when we don't hide our light, you know what happens? Look at the last part of verse 16. Others glorify your father, which is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, glorify God, which is in heaven. You see, the end of the day, the end of us shining our light, the end of us embracing our life as salt, the end of us allowing Christianity to truly affect every area of our life, the end of that is 
his glory. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. You see, we don't endeavor to embrace our Christianity and be salt and light so that others look at us and say, wow, you're really awesome. We do it so that people look at us and say, wow, you have an awesome God. Wow, man, I want your God to be my God. While it's true that we should endeavor to glorify God in our own personal lives, we should live in such a way that helps others want to glorify him themselves. I want to tell you this morning as we close that you are valuable. You have a great effect and a great potential to be effective. But you and I must choose to not make our Christianity obsolete. Don't go through life making your Christianity of no significance. We've said it often over the course of this year, but it's over the course of this year, but it's wise for followers of Jesus to be reminded that this world does not need the more, more of the same. Doesn't need followers who just go through life. This world needs followers of Jesus to stand up and to stand out. Be salt, you're valuable. Be light, you're effective. Live each and every day knowing the potential that he places on your life and embrace your Christianity. Find ways to let your light shine in your workplace, in your home, with your friends and your community. Don't undervalue your faith. Don't make your faith a secondary part of your life. Instead, put Christ first. Put Jesus first and he will use you as salt. He will use you as light. But can I say this morning, maybe... Maybe you're here and you aren't salt and you aren't light because you don't know Christ as your Savior. And I close with a final question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? I'll, add, I'll word it this way. Every one of us are going to die. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere, heaven or hell. It's what the Bible teaches, what God said. We're all going to heaven or we're all going to hell. Do you know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Say, yep, I've been baptized. Baptism won't get you to heaven. Yep, I'm a good person. Being a good person won't get you to heaven. Yeah, I go to church. I'm going to heaven because I go to church. Nope, that won't get you to heaven. The only way that you, can I, you and I can reach heaven is by having a time in our life where we, where we have put our faith and our trust in Jesus alone. And I wonder, have you done that? Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven? If you've never done that, today could be the day where you put your faith and your trust in him. Today could be the day where you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life and to save you. You see, every one of us are sinners. Every one of us are separated from God. Every one of us deserve hell. And today could be the day that you are restored to God by asking him to come into your life. If you're here and you've never trusted Christ as your savior in a moment, we have what's called an invitation. We invite you to respond to the preaching of God's word and you can right where you're seated, you can pray and ask Jesus Christ into your life. If you know Christ as your savior, today would you make a decision, God help me to embrace my Christianity this week. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.